I want to talk about the fight, and I want to talk specifically about winning the fight. What does it mean to win the fight? And we're all in this fight. In Romans seven fifteen through 19 Paul describes the fight this way. He says, I don't understand myself at all, for I really want to do what is right, but I don't do it. Instead, I do the very thing I hate. I know perfectly well that what I am doing is wrong, and my bad conscience shows that I agree that the law is good, but I can't help myself because it is sin inside me that makes me do these evil things. I know that I am rotten through and through so far as my old sinful nature is concerned. No matter which way I turn, I can't make myself do right. I want to, but I can't. When I want to do good, I don't. And when I try not to do wrong, I do it anyway. Have you guys ever felt that way? I got this fight going on in me. I don't want to do one thing, and I always end up doing it. And I want to do good. I want to do something that's, that's right, but I never get a chance to do it. You know, have you ever been in that situation? I know God wants me to share my faith with this guy. And I don't get the words out, right? I know I want to do this good thing, but I can't get it out. And then we think of this sin and we say, I never want to do that again. And then we do it again, and then again, and then again, and then again. And see, Paul, the Apostle Paul, he's saying that he has this same fight. And this fight is something that we're all involved with. And it consumes all of our lives, right? We've all been there. But that's not how God wants us to live. He never said, come to me just so that you can live this life of failure. He wanted us to be able to win the fight. Just like I beat Tom Thursday night. So, and, <laughs> Tom, Tom's hating this talk already. The drug tests haven't come back yet. <laughs> the drug tests haven't come back yet. Was there anything in that food? Hmm, who knows? Okay, well, this fight with our flesh, this fight with sin, it involves these three usual suspects. They're there all the time, and we're all familiar with these. They're desire, temptation, and sin, and they're all very tied together. And this is kind of important. I hope you guys will really grasp this. Desire is not necessarily sin, but it can lead to temptation, right? You can desire good things, or you can desire bad things. So just a desire in itself is not wrong. But our desires can be for the wrong types of things. Those, then, can lead to temptation. Temptation alone is not sin, right? Just because you're tempted does not mean you're sinning. You can have a temptation come across your mind, and that alone is not a sin. It's what you do with that temptation. What happens next? So temptation also hits us. Alone, that's not sin, but what we do with it. Sin is defined basically as not matching up to who God is. So it means I, I'm selfish, I do things my way, not God's way. That's sin. There are two different types of sin. There are sins of commission and sins of omission. Does that make sense? Basically, there are sins of things I do, commission, like I do the wrong thing that I shouldn't do. And there are sins of omission, things that I don't do that I should do. James 4.17 says, Anyone then who knows the good he ought to do and doesn't do it sins. So there are things that God's told me to do, and then when I disobey that and I choose not to do it, that also is sin. So there are different types of sin. Hebrews 11.25 says, and this is a problem for us, this is why we often get trapped in this cycle. Hebrews 11.25 says that sin is pleasurable for a season. Isn't that true? And it, I mean, admit it. Sin is kind of fun, right? Otherwise, we wouldn't do it. right? When we're tempted, sin seems enticing. It seems interesting. It seems exciting. Sometimes we don't want to win the fight. Sometimes we want to lose. Sometimes we want to fall. Proverbs 26.11 talks about that cycle this way. It says it's the same as a dog returning to its vomit. Imagine that. That's the most disgusting picture I can imagine. It's kind of like my dog, Brindy, Amy's, Amy's best friend on the whole planet. Brittany doesn't return to her vomit. She doesn't vomit a lot. 
But she she snacks on our cat's litter box. We will catch her going to the litter box, seriously, <laughs> getting getting stuff out of the litter box and eating it. And she loves this. She thinks it's so great. And we'll, we'll see her, like, sneaking back to the back, you know, down the hallway. And Aaron goes, no, you come back here right now. And she comes back with her tail between her legs because she got caught. That's what the Bible says this cycle of sin is like for us. We're going back to this disgusting thing, and it's not good for us, and it hurts us, and it's just no good. And see, Jesus offers the opposite of that. In John 4.14, he says, whoever drinks of the water that I give will never thirst again. So that true joy, that true contentment that we desire, that keeps us locked in this cycle of sin, because we're always going back for that pleasure, that pleasure, that pleasure that we think we're going to get from it. Jesus says, that's just like a dog returning to its vomit. If you come to me and drink the water I give, you will never thirst again. So see, he doesn't intend for us to be stuck in this cycle, or in losing in this fight. But he intends for us to have victory in this fight. Now going back to temptation and desire, this is important. Really stay with me here because there's a big, big key here. James 1, 14-15 puts it this way, But each one is tempted when by his own evil desire he is dragged away and enticed. Then, after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. So this has a progression here. It says, each one is tempted when, by his own evil desire, he is dragged away and enticed. So what comes first, the temptation or the desire? Each one is tempted when, by his own desire, he's dragged away. The desire, right? That comes first. Now, this is important. I used to think that my only defense against temptation was when I get hit with temptation, i got to just fight it as hard as I can. Have you guys ever thought that? Temptation's just going to hit me sometime, and when it hits me, then I just fight it as hard as I can. Well, the Bible's telling us here a good key. It says you can prevent what you get tempted with by deciding what kind of desires you have in the first place. Because temptation always comes out of the desires that we already have. Does that make sense? If I desire to be wealthy... I might be likely to go rob a bank or rob my friend or sell some drugs to get money, right? Because my desire is riches. So I'm willing to do things. I'm tempted to sin to fulfill that desire. If my desire is to be satisfied with what I have, am I going to be tempted to go rob a bank? Probably not, right? See, my desire allows me to be tempted in a certain area. And so how can you prevent temptation by changing your desire? See, the fight starts at the level of desire. You don't have to wait till you get tempted to start fighting. But you can fight before you ever even get to that point at the level of desire. And Psalm 37.4 puts it this way. Delight yourself in the Lord and He will give you the desires of your heart. This is the neatest thing. See, if I'm daily connecting with God, seeking Him daily, then He's changing my desires to be more like His desires. And if He's changing my desires to be more like His desires then my desires are no longer going to be there to lead to temptation. Does that make sense? So see, the key is just to seek God, to delight myself in Him, to make Him everything, because that will change my desires and prevent that temptation from ever getting a hold of me in the first place. What I love about God is He doesn't just change what you do, and He doesn't just make you change what you do, but He changes what you want to do. Isn't that true? He changes our desires. You know, a lot of you guys remember times when you wanted to do really evil things. There's somebody last year that accepted Christ. After they came to know Christ, they said, Before I knew Christ, I was so depressed, and I wanted every single person I saw that was happy to die. Can you believe that? See, that was a real desire that that person had. When Christ came into their life, 
They now have joy. They now have peace. It's amazing. He changes us from the inside out. So that fight starts at the level of desires. Delight yourself in the Lord. He'll change your desires. We all know, though, that temptation is still going to hit us, right? Temptation is still going to come our way. It's still going to get us. And this is an encouraging verse. 1 Corinthians 10.13 says, No temptation has seized you except what is common to man. And again, God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, He will also provide a way out so that you can stand up under it. So whenever we're tempted, it's not more than we can bear. And along with that, He's already provided a way for us to get out. Isn't that true? And one thing that's so good to know is that no matter what we're getting tempted with, guys, it's common to man. You're not the only person that's ever faced this. You're not alone in this fight. You have brothers and sisters with you in this fight. So you are not powerless over any temptation. When a temptation does hit you, it's not from God. Know that the Bible says that God does not tempt you. But when a temptation does hit you, you're not powerless. God's already provided a way out. And He's not allowed it to be too powerful for you. No matter how powerful it seems to be. And Hebrews 12.4 says, In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. Sometimes we feel like, I can't beat this thing. And it's telling us, it's a hard fight. But you haven't yet gone to the point of shedding your own blood for it. Losing your own blood for it. You haven't fought to that point yet. So he's saying you still can do it. So continue the fight at that level of temptation. When it comes, be ready for it. And realize, God's provided a way out. God's already made me more powerful through himself. Hebrews 4.15 says, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet was without sin. See, Jesus, every single thing you'll ever be tempted with, as crazy as it could ever sound to your mind, Jesus was tempted with it the same way. And as enticing as it is to you, it was that enticing to him. You know, I think a lot of us think, well, Jesus is God, you know. When he got tempted to lust, he's just like, no, lust, go away. I'm sure he burned as much as any guy in this room ever has desiring to lust because that temptation was just as strong to him. And still he was able to say, I will not. I will not. He was able to set this example for us. And now he lives his life through us. So he can sympathize with us. This is the greatest thing. We don't have a Savior that just says, Gunner, Get your act together. That's that. I'm God. You better shape up. But he actually came and lived this life so he can know everything you ever walked through and then he can walk with you through it. So fight that temptation. This is really good. By running to Jesus, delight yourself in him. Let him change your desires. So fight by running to him. He's the one that can sympathize with you right where you're at. Fight by running to him and fight running away from the temptation. A great example of that is Joseph in Genesis 39. You can read it. If you're taking notes, just write Genesis 39. But Joseph, he had this beautiful woman, his boss's wife, come and say, I want to have sex with you. And he said, he, he ran. He said, I'm out of this place, right? He ran so fast, he actually, she grabbed his cloak and it came right off him, right? So he's running out of the room naked. He was willing to run away from that temptation. I don't think he ran because he thought, no way, you know? I think he was genuinely tempted. And he said, I'm not going to trust myself one second in this situation. I'm running. 1 Corinthians 10.13 again says, and we read part of this a minute ago, it says, No temptation has seized you except what is common to man. Now that's talking about accountability. We've all walked through the same stuff. Andrew's had the same temptations as me. Tom has had the same temptations as, as me. Mark, all of us in this room, we've walked this together. And so this is really talking about accountability. I'm going to stand with my brothers and sisters in these areas and really have victory. And this is why it's so important to have accountability partners, guys. This is vital. Probably all you guys in here have somebody that's really close to you 
and somebody that you feel like you can trust, that's somebody that you can get with and share with. My accountability partner is Austin Crocus. A lot of you guys probably know that because I've mentioned him before. And we are brutally honest with each other. I mean, every lustful thought we share with each other, I tell them what days I don't have a solid time with God. I'll say, Austin, this week I was not praying like I should be, you know. And it's so good. Austin will tell me, I'll go, Nate, that's sin. But God, His grace is so sufficient. and He forgives you for it. Let's pray together that next week you would have an awesome time in prayer. You know, and Austin will call me sometimes and say, Nate, I'm dealing with this this week. And I can say, let's walk together in that issue. And see, it encourages me to know everything I've ever shared with him that I thought, man, there's no way Austin's ever dealt with this. It's just me that's had this temptation. I'll share it with Austin. He goes, oh my gosh, I've been dealing with the same thing, Nate. See, it's common to man. We all deal with this. But see, it's this lie that says, keep it a secret, <laughs> right? Keep it a secret. Pretend like you're the only one. First John 1 John 1.7 says, if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus' Son purifies us from all sin. So when we have the, that sin in our lives, even those temptations, we can take it and put it out in the light, which means we can get with our brothers and sisters, somebody that we trust, not just everyone, and say, look, I'm really going with this. It's getting out in the light, and then it loses power over me. If you want victory over that sin, get an accountability partner and be very honest with them. And a note about that is a lot of times those accountability relationships, they kind of slack off. People quit sharing and this and that. Be serious with it. I mean, it's like your life. I think my relationship with Austin is one of the most valuable things in this entire life. So, we talked a little bit about temptation, desire, those two things. Well, what happens when you do sin? 1 John 1, nine says, when we do sin, and we're all going to sin, guys. We are all going to deal with this. It says, if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us and to purify us from all unrighteousness. So He will forgive us every single time when we go to Him. And this is the most beautiful thing. Some of the most precious times every morning that I spend with God are, are times of confessing my sin to Him. Telling Him, God, I fell here. God, I failed here. God, there's this pride in my life. Or God, there's this attitude in my life. That is such a precious time to be able to run to God and to confess those sins. And that, that's something that I want to encourage you with. A lot of times... Our tendency, and this is what Adam and Eve did in the Bible, they sinned and they ran away from God. Don't you feel like that when we sin? To say, oh my gosh, God doesn't want me. I'm definitely not going to church this week. I'm definitely not going to connect this week. And I'm definitely not talking to God this week. Or reading my Bible this week. Or praying this week. Don't you guys feel like that a lot of times? See, it's the opposite. When we fall, when we sin, run to Him first. Tell Him He's everything. Tell Him how you felt. And and He will change you from the inside out. Okay, so now the wrestling analogy. That was a little bit about kind of the background for this sin issue. The wrestling analogy. Tom over there, most of you guys can see he's a lot bigger than me. I know his biceps are bigger than me. He's a lot stronger than me. What do you weigh, Tom? Oh, about 225. No. <laughs> like, he's lying right now. He just sinned. What do you weigh, Tom? Like 175. 175. I usually weigh 145, so he probably has 30 pounds on me. Okay. What did you weigh freshman year? 135 pounds. Freshman year, he weighed 135. I weighed 145. Okay. So freshman year, Tom and I would wrestle almost every day after class. And we'd throw things all over the room, break things, and we had lots of fun. But here's the deal. I beat him pretty much every day. I was bigger than him. I weighed more than him. I was stronger than him. So this week, Tom 
starts hassling me. Most of you guys at the dinner heard this. Come on, Nate, let's wrestle. Come on, Nate, let's wrestle. And I'm thinking in my mind, I don't want to get beat in front of all these students. They're all going to think I'm such a moron. They're going to think I'm so weak. And so finally, you guys are like, do it, Nate, do it, Nate, do it, Nate. So I was like, okay, I have to do it. So, and then I beat him. And I was like, ooh, how did that happen? How did I just beat Tom? So then Tom wanted to rematch. Let's do it again, Nate. Let's see if you can do this a second time. And I beat him a second time. It was amazing. Tom doesn't know this yet because I haven't shared it with him, but I think when I was on top of him, right before he tapped out, I was hanging on for dear life. I felt like one flinch and I'm on the ground. I'm off, okay? I'm, I'm just praying, like, God, don't let Tom know how strong he is, okay? And then all of a sudden, Tom starts tapping out. And I went, oh my gosh, I can't believe I just won. It's so cool. So the deal is, though, here's the deal. Tom, I believe, is stronger than me right now. But see, he's remembering back when we were freshmen and I could beat him without any problems. Now here's the deal. We all do this with sin. When Christ comes into our life, he puts his Holy Spirit in your life to empower you so that you don't have to live a life of sin, to give you the capacity to live a Christ-like life right here on this earth. But a lot of times we're trapped in our mind thinking about what we used to be before we had His Holy Spirit in us. Isn't that true? And so we remember these patterns of loss, where I lost and I lost and I lost, and this sin won and this sin won and and it won. And so we begin to forget that we have power over this. And we give up real easily because we can't even remember in our mind that God has given us the power over this. And I think that's a good analogy, guys. Galatians 3.3 puts it this way. Have you lost your senses after starting your Christian lives in the Spirit? Why are you now trying to be perfect by your own human effort? See, that's what we do. We try to not sin by our human effort instead of letting His Spirit do it in us. Galatians 2.20 says, I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. See, He's put His Spirit in you, and Christ lives through you, through His Spirit. And He gives you power over sin. So who wins? Who wins? The two dogs analogy. If you have two dogs and you're preparing them for a fight, and one of them gets trained and fed, and you give it water and exercise, and the other one just gets locked up. No food, no water, no exercise, no training. Which one's going to win? The one that gets all the food, the water, the exercise, right? So it's just like that with our flesh and our spirit. The one that's going to win is the one that we feed. So how do we feed our spirit? How do we feed what God wants us to feed? And the Bible calls this repentance, okay? This is a big word. And I'm only going to hit it for a second because this is so important. Most people think repentance means stop doing a bad thing and start doing good, right? Isn't that kind of what you guys have always thought? Just quit doing all the bad stuff and start doing all the good stuff. Repentance is metanoio in the Greek, and it means, this is very important, to change your thinking. It doesn't mean to start being perfect. It just means to change your thinking. It just means to say, I recognize I'm wrong, and God's right, and I'm going to think God's way. I don't even have to worry about my actions. That'll come later. God will do that in His own time. See, Romans 12, 1 says, Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. As I get in God's Word every day, it transforms my thinking. His word is His thoughts. As I put that in my mind, I begin to think like Jesus. As I begin to think like Jesus, I begin to act like Jesus. That's true repentance. And it's a true key to victory. It's thinking like Jesus. So putting His word in my mind. That's the difference, guys, between being a hypocrite and being the real deal. See, hypocrite says, you know, I'm all this, I'm all this. And they just try harder and they keep falling. And everybody sees it. The real deal, that's when we say, I can't do it. 
I'm just going to trust God, get His Word, and let Him do it in me. And then He does it in me. That's the difference between a program and life transformation. See, God wants to transform us, not just to put us in a program. So don't make your stand not sinning. So many times we want to say, I'm going to just try really hard not to sin, right? We all do this. I'm going to try to be better. And it doesn't work. Benjamin Franklin put it this way. In his autobiography, he stated that his purpose was to live without committing any fault at any time. Wouldn't that be good? To live without committing any fault at any time. So he was just going to try harder. I'm just going to try the best I can. And he actually was so on top of this, he thought, I'm going to publish all the character traits that I want to see developed in my life in my autobiography. So everybody knows what I'm aspiring to be. And these are what he put down. Temperance, silence, order, resolution, frugality, industry, sincerity, justice, moderation, cleanliness, tranquility, chastity, and humility. He wanted all those traits in his life. And he actually, in his journal, daily, put a page for each one where he could write out how he was doing on each one of those character traits. Because again, like he said, he wanted to be perfect in every way. Now, he did good with a lot of those. But when he got to the issue of pride, he put it this way. Disguise it, struggle with it, beat it down, stifle it, mortify it as much as one may please. It is still alive. Isn't that true? No matter how hard we try to fight this sin on our own, it's still alive. He realized the harder he tried to win, the more he lost. And he actually wrote this way about his endeavor. I never arrived at the perfection I had been so ambitious of obtaining. I fell far short of it. See, the harder we try to do this on our own, the more we fail. And then the harder we try, and the more we fail. It doesn't work. See, that cycle keeps going. Try not to sin, end up sinning. And then next time, I try not to sin again, but it's easier to sin because I sinned last time, so I end up sinning faster. And then I try not to sin again, but I end up doing it faster. Does that make sense? We've all been in that cycle, and it just goes down and down and down. There's no victory trying harder. If you just try harder, you will never get there. The opposite is this. You draw closer to Christ, and all of a sudden you realize you don't want to sin so much. And then that makes you want to draw closer to Christ. So then you don't want to sin so much, and that makes you want to draw closer to Christ again. And then you don't want to sin even more. And so see, the cycle goes upward. So if you want to have victory over this, it comes back to what we always keep talking about at this meeting. Draw close to Christ. Unite yourself with Christ. Draw close to Him. See, the point of it is this, guys. There's no quick fix in the Christian life. A lot of times, you've heard pastors probably say, if you want victory from any sin you've ever been dealing with, just raise your hands right now. We're all going to pray, and you're going to get zapped, and you'll never have to deal with that again. And I always just think, you're hurting people, guys. God does not work that way. Some of you may have been totally set free from some type of sin the instant you trusted Christ. But I promise you, you did not become perfect the instant you accepted Christ. Because none of us did, none of us ever will. The thing is, is, as I have to depend on God for an entire lifetime with the different sins that are in my life, it forces me to be dependent on Him, doesn't it? See, every day, I can't go, Nate, you got this covered today. Every day, I have to say, today, I have to trust you, God, more than I trusted you yesterday. You know what I pray every morning in my quiet time? God, I need you more today than I needed you yesterday. And I feel that way genuinely to my very core. I need Him desperately. I need Him desperately today. And see, as I go through this fight, this is why Russ always says, this is a good fight, guys, this fight with sin, because it develops in us a dependence on God every single day. So when that sin comes up, I say, God, I trust you with that sin. I focus on you, not on the sin. Hebrews 12 says, we fix our eyes on Jesus 
And right before that, or in two, it says we fix our eyes on Jesus. Right before that, in one, it says we lay aside the sin that so easily ensnares us. So we say, the sin is bothering me, it's tempting me, I just lay it aside, and I focus on Jesus. I keep my eyes on Jesus. And then He does it. He transforms me. He changes my desires. He gives me victory over that temptation. And when I do fall, I go to Him, and He forgives me. The point is not to be perfect, guys. So many times in our Christian lives, we think the point is to be perfect. It's not. The point is not to be perfect. It's not to be the best Christian. It's not to be totally good all the time. The point is is to depend on God daily for everything. Philippians 3.3 says, Put no confidence in your flesh. Which means I don't ever go, I would never sin that way. But I say, God, I have to depend on you today more than any other time in my life. I need you, Jesus. See, he's developing in us a dependence on him. So just as a summary, this is practically how you win. And all these points have been mentioned. But number one, you let the Holy Spirit empower you by faith. You trust by faith. He's put his Holy Spirit in me, and I just let him empower me. I say, I want you to be in control of my life. I surrender to you. And then he lives Christ's life through us. We focus on Christ, not on the sin, and he will change us from there. We change our thinking. This is a very practical thing we can do by getting in God's Word, by reading God's Word every day. And that changes the way we think, which in turn produces different actions in our life because thought always precedes action. And then finally, the fourth point that I think will give you victory over sin every time is to have accountability with somebody that you love and trust that will stand with you. And again, what I love about my relationship with Austin is I don't care how I fall, he's going to be there with me to carry that burden with me, just like it talks about in Galatians 6, 1 and 2. We're brothers. And when he falls, I'm going to be there with him to walk with him with his burden too. And see, together, we can encourage each other and help each other walk in a way that glorifies Christ. So bringing it home, guys, this is where I really want you to think about it practically in your life. What secret or not-so-secret sin do you want to give God control of? Every one of us has some issue. For me, you know what the number one issue is? I'll be brutally honest with you guys. It's a critical attitude. I, I struggle with a critical attitude most of my life, you know? And I can get so critical so easy. And I have to give that to God every day and say, God, take that critical attitude away from me. I don't want it, you know? I don't want to be critical of people. I want to love people like you love them. I have to give that to God. What is it that you want God to have control of? Think about this. Do you guys all have that in your mind, kind of? Picture it in your mind. What desire underlies that temptation? What is it? Maybe for a critical attitude, it'd be pride. Maybe that'd be part of the desire. Think through for you what desire underlies that temptation that always hits. Now, get this. You've probably struggled with this for a long time, and you're like, I could never beat this thing. I could never beat this thing on my own. Just decide to quit trying. Doesn't that kind of give you freedom? Galatians 5.1 says, It is for freedom that Christ has set you free. So, revel in that freedom. Quit trying to be perfect on your own. Like Paul said, he said, Oh, you foolish Galatians. He said, Quit trying so hard on your own to beat this thing. And instead of trying on your own, this is what I want to encourage you, pursue God in that area. Pursue God in that area. Draw near to Him. Give Him your whole heart. Ask Him to be everything to you. Pursue Him like you never have before in your life. And then get this, guys. He's going to change those desires that underlie those temptations that cause this pattern of sin. Does that make sense? I I hope that this is really good. I hope you guys get this. So the main point is just draw near to Him. Draw near to Him. Draw near to Him with those issues that are so hard to beat. 
Okay, picking up where we started, Romans 7, 24-25. We talked about in Romans 7 where Paul was saying, what I don't want to do, that's what I do. What I do want to do, I never get to do it. Well, he ends it this way. He says, what a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body of death? You guys have heard me mention it before. In that culture, this phrase, body of death, had a big significance, and it really kind of describes the sin nature. The body of death was a punishment for one type of murder. I'm not sure what type of murder, but what would happen would be if you killed somebody, they would take that corpse that you murdered and strap it to your body and let it rot. Okay, imagine you have this rotting corpse on your body a week after it's been dead. There are worms crawling around it. It stinks. It's disgusting, right? And Paul says, who's going to save me from this body of death? Talking about his sin nature. Doesn't it feel like that sometimes? I can't get away from this thing. It's rotting. It's on me. Like, why can't I get free from it? And then Paul puts it this way. He says, who's going to rescue me from this body of death? He says, thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. He doesn't say, just try harder to get rid of it. He says, he says just get your eyes on Christ, guys, because He will give you complete victory. As you passionately pursue Him more, as you just get your eyes on Him, He will totally give you victory. Okay, is that good? I hope you guys are really encouraged by that. It's how we can truly have victory over sin.